This is Napkin Scribbles, a podcast by Arthur and Professor Leonard Sweet. Today's Napkin Scribble is sponsored by Portland Seminary of George Fox University. For more information, join them on the web at portlandseminary.org. Now here's Leonard Sweet. What is sin? Does anybody understand what sin is out there? Do we even understand what sin is? If you look at the Hebrew and Greek words for sin in the whole Bible, it occurs over 1,500 times. So you can't take the Bible seriously. You can't read the story right without taking sin seriously. But what does that mean? It's not so much we need an adult understanding of sin. How about a beginning understanding of sin? How about any understanding of sin at all in a culture that is temperamentally allergic to the category? Of sin. I mean, try and say somebody, but we're all sinners. What do you mean I'm a sinner? Uh, we, we live in a world where everything is permitted, nothing is forgiven, anything goes, everything sucks, nothing matters, but no one forgives, and no one forgives nothing. So, how do we talk about sin in a culture that is temperamentally allergic to its? very existence. John Wesley asked his mother, Susanna, for a definition of sin that he could use. And she wrote back these words, and I'm quoting here from a June 8th, 1725 letter. Take this rule, whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, takes off the relish of spiritual things, in short, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may be in itself. Well, good luck with that one. Try using that one out there in this 21st century culture. That is temperamentally allergic to the category of sin and categorically allergic to the concept of sin. And here our problem is that we live in a world of identity politics where you are defined by one thing and one thing only. And the problem is that no one is only one thing. We are multiples. You can be brilliant, beautiful, and wrong about many things. We are many things. And one of the many things we are is good and bad, saint and sinner, beautiful and ugly. And what, what this culture is doing, and I'm not sure it's digital culture or political culture, whatever it's doing, it's flattening us into one-dimensional, one-dimensional beings We are only allowed to be one thing. No, we are many things. And one of the many things is we are good and bad. Or as Paul put it, the good that I would, I do not, and the evil that I would not, I do. We are saint and sinner at the same time. Now, the the most common way that preachers have tried to convey... um, what sin is, is this word hamartia. Uh, and it, it really is based on the metaphor of missing the mark. Like you you draw back a bow, uh, an arrow on your bow, and you look, you hit, you aim for the bullseye and you miss it. And so sinning is missing the mark. This is, nobody uses a bow and arrow anymore. So good luck with that one. So I, I have, I'm going to give you three um ways in which you can convey to this culture what sin is, and each one of them is, is going to be 
is is problematic in some way, and the first one is most problematic, so I'm going to get it out of the way first. And that is to bring together hamartology with snafuology. And what I mean by that is this word snafu, if you want to describe what sin is to this culture, I can think of no better one word than just say snafu. Snafu was a World War II word that developed among the soldiers on the front lines. And when they would say to one another, how's your day going? One would say, well, it's it's another snafu. It's another day of snafu. It's just another snafu. And snafu was an acronym for situation normal, all, now let me, let me uh, tame it a little bit, all fouled up. Except the original version wasn't fouled up, it was fucked up. So they would say, it's just one snafu after another. Situation normal, all fucked up. It was a really bad day when there was when there what became known as cluster fucks or a bunch of snafus. Then they would say it was a total foobar. And foobar was a phrase that meant fucked up beyond all recognition or fouled up beyond all repair or it had all sorts of versions. Um, But if you can come up with a better name for sins as fuck-ups and humans are FUs, uh, that's sinners are FUs, um, we all, to be our normal position as a human is we will all F you. There is no way around it. You cannot get through life without F you. And, and um, this is um, what it means to be human. So, you know, so this is the, the situation normal for a human being. We will all, all, all have sinned, all have F you. And only by confessing my F to God can I return to full existence, full humanity, and without Jesus, I will go from a life of snafu to a fubar life where I will foul up beyond all recognition. And you're never beyond repair, but you, it's just a total fucked up existence. So this is one way <laughs> in, in a culture that is getting increasingly crude and crass, uh, but seems to like the crudity and crassness, to maybe help it to understand what really what we're talking about. Now, the, we were not created for sin, but for the presence of God and all of God's peace and power and purity. But there came that, that downward bent, that force of gravity when we left the garden to which God has to counteract with the force of grace. And um, you say, well, well I'm, I'm, I'm not really... Snafuing as much as you think I am. Well, okay. Even if you're not snafuing yourself, tell me, you don't enjoy the snafus of others? You, We, as a species, love to strike down or pull up the tallest poppies. We get that odd stab of pleasure when an enemy stumbles or, God help us, a friend messes up and doesn't get that reward or promotion that they were hoping for. We take grubby little pleasures from the epic fails of of other people, be they enemy or friend. In fact, the Germans have a wonderful word for this, schadenfreude. 
meaning the joy of someone else's failures or anguish. Why is it we mourn with those who mourn better than we rejoice with those who rejoice? So let's understand that we are all um, live a snafu life. That's our normal default, snafu. Um, And nobody gets through life without major snafus. Uh, Have you ever met somebody that thinks that they no longer fart? We all give off stink bombs of sin until the day we die. Thank God for grace. Now, repentance isn't about feeling bad about our snafus and closing in on our badness, but repentance is opening, recognizing that we will do this. This is the normal human condition, but that we open up ourselves for God's forgiveness and the freedom and the friendship that comes with with uh, being in a relationship with with God who will help us uh, and be there when we fall, when we fail, and when we when we F you. So that that is one way of talking about sin for this culture, the snafu way. There's a second way, and I want to do this real quickly, and that is sin is not living the story. The story. To believe the Bible is to live the story, the Jesus story, to trust the story with your life. And sin is living outside the story, um, living somebody else's story, letting somebody other than the author of life be your authority, author your story. So that is another way of approaching sin from from a narrative standpoint. Um, The sinner, and in the story that we have, the Jesus story, the sinner is at the heart of that story. And this is a a quote from Charles Paguay that that Graham Greene used as his epigraph to the heart of the matter. No one is as competent in the matter of Christianity as the sinner. No one unless it is the saint. The sinner is at the heart of Christianity. It's the heart of our story. And that's the, the story revolves around the sinner. Sin is not living the story. And sin is living below your best. I've, I haven't seen all the Harry Potter mover, movies my kids have, but I do remember. I've, I, it seemed like one of the first ones when Harry meets the snake for the first time, and both recognize a kindred spirit. No one is immune to the venom of the serpent coiled in the pit of the human heart, as as T.S. Eliot liked to say. There are lesions on every life. There are lesions on everything that we do. Can you find me one perfect family in the Bible? How about one perfect marriage? Can you find a perfect marriage in the scripture? You say, well, the Holy Family. No, the Holy Family comes closest, yes, but even they had to have some divine outside intervention in the story. Abraham pimped his own wife. Lot was raped by his daughters. Aquinas, I mean, Ananias and Sapphira bragged that they so loved they had to follow Jesus, but they did some creative accounting, told back some, and, and were struck dead. No, you cannot find. You, in every life, there are lesions. and every life, there are departures from the story. 
And But the story is, again, that the sinner's at the heart of it. Jesus liked people, all kinds of people, but he especially liked sinners. This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them, his major critique. And to be out of relationship with God, to live out of this story, is to live in a state of, of sin and to be absent from God's presence and authorship of your own story. Soren Kierkegaard, my favorite theologian, said that sin is building your identity on anything but God. It's building your story on any other authority than the author of Jesus. The third sin. We have to talk about sin. And this is the semiotic way, and it's very simple. Just open your hands as wide as you can right now. Okay. You got your hands as wide as you can make them. Tell me what you can do with your open hands and stretched fingers. Well, you can you can make bread, you can play the piano, you can play the violin, you can hold another's hands, you can heal the sick, you can pick flowers, you can garden in the dirt. Now close your hands as tight as you possibly can. Put your fingers into a fist and tell me what you can do with that closed hand. Well, you can punch. You can hit, you can hurt, you can even kill, and that's sin. A life closed in on itself, a life that is, in Aquinas and Luther both use this phrase, incurvatus in se, life curved in on itself, where mirrors replace lamps, where navel-gazing only reveals the lint and never the linen. A human curved in on itself, a hand that is clutched in a fist rather than open and vulnerable. That is the very essence of, of sin. And a church can do the same thing. A church that closes in on itself is a sinful church or sin in the church. Um, when, when the mission of the church becomes the church itself and it incurvates and say it occurs in on itself, it's the anti-church. You don't just have an antichrist, you got an anti-church. Uh, a church growing into itself, living by itself, from itself, for itself. But the good news, God is a God of dead ends. God is a God of closed fists. And so to open up your hands and to open up your heart to receive which you can't do when you've got a fist, when you're closed. But to open up, that is the very essence of repentance and grace. So three ways. Talking about sin in a culture that is temperamentally allergic to it as a category and categorically allergic to it as a concept. Thank you for listening to Napkin Scribbles. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with a friend today. Today's Napkin Scribbles was sponsored by Portland Seminary of George Fox University. For more information, join them on the web at portlandseminary.org. For Professor and Arthur Leonard Sweet, until next time, happy scratching and scribbling.